passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of the Eggshells Podcast Companion. This is an audible companion to Eggshells, Pro Wrestling in the Tokyo Dome, uh, a book that details every pro wrestling event in Japan's most famous arena. In this podcast, we take a different guest on board each week to examine a different year in the history of the Tokyo Dome. This time, we're looking at 1999, and my guest is very much the voice of Eggshells Pro Wrestling in the Tokyo Dome. Um, he is the, the man that's going to be narrating the audiobook when it comes out later in the autumn. Uh, it's Dan Lamouth Levansky. Hello. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? <laughs> All right. So, um... Yes, we're now. This this is going to uh, this podcast goes out to our our Indiegogo backers first, and uh, then eventually to to post wrestling, right? Um, right, which is great. Yeah, but uh, but most of us, uh, or where I became familiar with with uh, mouth is is from the lore, and uh, so it's it's been a while. It's it's been too long. Uh, you know, apart from sort of professionally and, and talking about the, the book and things, it's, it's been too long uh, to hear you talk about wrestling. So this is this is almost a treat for me because you used to be in my earbuds every Sunday. <laughs> well, that uh, that's great. I, uh, thank you. I'm so glad you enjoyed the law. We had a we had a great time. We had a great run. But uh, now, honestly, this is this is great for me because this is honestly, you know, because I don't have to do a weekly show anymore. I. Some of the stuff was I just was, like I haven't watched Impact since we stopped doing it because I was just <laughs> so sick of that show. Whereas the New Japan stuff, that's my bread and butter almost now. Like that's pretty well all I'm really paying attention to. So this is great to do this and to go back and talk about uh, some of the guys because this is also 1999, maybe two or three years earlier was when I really started to get into Japanese pro wrestling and i really started to hunt down tapes and start to watch the regular tv and that so this was this is this is great because these uh, this is there's we got some really great matches here that we're going to cover yeah so i mean on that what was your sort of connection to uh japanese wrestling in in 1999 because you were already doing the law by this point yes yes um it, it basically I, I was reading Dave Meltzer's Wrestling Observer newsletter every week, and he at that time he was doing reviews of the TV show. So he would review the New Japan show, he would review the All Japan show, and every friggin' week he'd be given these matches four stars, three and a half stars, you know. And I'm like, I gotta see some of these matches. So finally, here in Toronto, where I am, I I actually found a Japanese a store. 
that that <laughs> that had tapes coming from Japan. And so I was able to go there. Now, they would be quite a bit behind. They'd probably be a couple months behind, but I didn't care. And so I would I would go and rent the tapes and just watch these. And I was it was it was amazing. Uh, it just it just blew my mind. So I'm 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 watching pretty full time by 1999. That's for sure. Like I, I'm I think I'm. In every match we're going to talk about, I think I had seen them all uh, pretty well originally when they first came out. Awesome. Good stuff. Good stuff. So uh, 1999 in Japan around this time, uh, I always sort of go through the big headlines <laughs> that were going around in Japan at, at the time. Did you know in yeah. 1999, um, we had a, a, an actual act passed that decided the national flag and anthem of the country? There wasn't... What? There wasn't an official. We'd we'd had the same national anthem and the and the same flag for for years and years and years uh, in Japan, but it was it wasn't actually officially decided until oh, 1999, which is that, weird. Yeah, that's that is really weird. I would have to say. I mean, I always thought it was weird that Canada didn't have its own national anthem really until the 1960s because we were part of the British Commonwealth and we would have God Save the Queen, and it wasn't until like the 60s that we kind of had our own flag and um our own national anthem but wow I, I i did not know that about japan at all that is really bizarre yeah uh in the movies uh audition was the was the big film to come out of 1999 so kind of like at the peak of of japanese horror uh, okay around this year and, and everything heading like ring heading to the west and, and that kind right of thing. Yeah. right um, and the the top selling single of 1999 was something bizarrely like that I think my son is more familiar with than than I am. Um, but uh, this was actually probably the it, I think it is still like the the third best selling single in Japan of all time. Wow! Um, and it's a kids novelty song called Dangle uh, <laughs> brothers like um dango is like a, a sort of dessert on a skewer and so like it's like these three sort of mochi balls and uh their brothers or whatever and uh so this novelty song that was on a kids tv show um was bizarrely like the the top selling single in 1999 by double that, like 2.5 million copies or something ridiculous that, that is i always love you know i always love um stuff like that and it, this happens in europe too in in the uk and stuff you'll get like the craziest songs will make it to number one and be huge like there was um there was a wwf album in the 90s yeah. that, that didn't even get a big push really here in north america but in europe they pushed it huge and i think i don't know what it was called the, the wrestlemania jam I, I can't even remember what it was called but it made it into like the top of the charts in the uk and it was <laughs> You know, it's just like you, you, you got Savage going, ooh, yeah, and all the other music playing and stuff. Like, yeah, crazy. It's it's wonderful, but um, I mean that's that's a decent jumping off point. I mean, when uh, when we had Damian Abraham on here, he was um, very keen to 
to to school me on on Japanese hardcore at the time and and you being a, you being a vinyl vinyl person like where are you in terms of Japanese music do you do you hear a lot of it or is it just again like novelty wrestling uh, vinyl that, that that gets into your collection it's, well it it depends I mean certain uh, certain bands that have got I have I have um, a couple albums by Creation I don't know if you're familiar with them but they're the Japanese band that did uh, Terry Funk's uh, music oh wow great yeah. yeah i have the album and the track is called spinning toehold number two <laughs> excellent and uh and uh, yeah i have i mean i have lots of other japanese i have some old japanese garage rock from the 60s bands like the spiders and that um and i you know some of the ones that were popular I always like shonen knife and stuff like that and uh i mean so yeah there's there's definitely some japanese one that you would love though i actually have a, it's a it's a record from it's got to be the 70s because it's got i think it's got enoki on the front cover and it's it's this weird record where it's a mixture of like interviews and live commentary or for this big wrestling event and there's pictures inside mm. of like Auckland, and uh there's a picture of oh i forget his name he's a uh, martial artist and he's he's wrestling a bear and stuff and <laughs> it's it, it's a really, really, really bizarre record. It's one of the cool, coolest Jap- uh, rest pro wrestling vinyl that I have. But that was a big thing in Japan. I mean, I mean, Hogan had a record in Japan, and like yeah. it just it, it, the music thing and the wrestling seemed to be even much bigger in Japan. Like I think there's way more releases in Japan than there ever was in like North America. Yeah, yeah, I think you might be right. Yeah, especially in the sort of eighties, seventies, eighties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I've seen some of the I've seen some of the records like the Hogan one. I think there was a Terry Funk one, um, but yeah, there's uh, all kinds of interesting uh, stuff there. And then of course there were um, like bands like the American bands. I don't know if you've heard of the American punk band Anti Scene, but they were big fans of like hardcore pro wrestling. So they did songs about Cactus Jack and Onita and all that all that kind of stuff because they were totally into the hardcore wrestling. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go straight into our shows um, in 1999, and it started off with uh, perhaps the most con- controversial uh, show of the year. Ooh, um, yes. Reasons we'll we'll get into, but uh, yeah, Wrestling World 1999. Um, for each episode on the show, I tend to let our guests go first, and we we choose one match uh, from each show to to really talk about. And um, the one thing that was consistent in your picks here was was a love of. <laughs> The uh, the junior heavyweights and particularly uh, Shinjiro Otani and um, yeah Shinjiro, Shinjiro Otani and and Koji Kanemoto and that kind of came through with your picks here so um, yeah your your first one here Shinjiro Otani and uh, Tatsuhito Takaiwa against Dr Wagner Jr and Kendo Kashin um, why did this uh, speak to you uh, well I, I, again Chris this when I started to follow New Japan closely in the nineties. These were the guys that got my attention. It really wasn't the main event stuff that I found as as fascinating. But I just like the first time I saw Otani, I just I was just blown away by this guy. I uh, he to me he's like the consummate wrestler, man. He 
He's great in the ring. He's super fast. He's he can he can do all kinds of great moves. But his attitude and the way he carried himself, the way that he kept the black boots and the black tights, the way that really, you know, like when you're a rookie in New Japan and before you've paid your dues, they make you wear black tights and black boots. And I love the way that Otani never changed from that, much like Minoru Suzuki. He's kept that look his entire career and just when he is selling his facial expressions, um, the, the, the this, like just the little things he would do, like um, he'd be beating up on somebody and then he would just wave his finger at him like, no, 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 no. You're not going anywhere. And then he'd beat on the guy some more. Like I just, I just thought he was a really, I still think he's a talented guy. Unfortunately, I don't think he ever really got his due after he left new Japan. But um He's just like honestly, he's just one of my top guys. And at the time when I started watching, these guys were always having fights on a regular basis, different mixtures of these guys and El Samurai and Dr. Wagner and and you just got you just got these amazing matches every time and uh, they're always so much fun to watch, you know. And the TV, of course, the TV would suck you right in because they would show you maybe the last half of the match where things really start to pick up, right? So you'd be watching I'd be watching these tapes and I'd be like, these guys are on fire every single match. Like I I don't think I've ever seen a bad match with Otani ever. Yeah, yeah, and uh this was um, yeah, you, you're right. They, they were sort of this deal of Otani and, uh, Takaiwa and, and Kanemoto really like these, these straight laced guys, uh, with the black tights and black boots sort of beating up on everybody, uh, really with a mask, you know, and this was like going on from like 97, uh, kind of onwards. And yeah. this was just right around, I mean, like the junior heavyweight tag belts were created in, in late 98. So this was, um, kind of still you know in the the early beginning phases of the, of that um of that uh division so it was kind of something that i think they they were still very keen to to emphasize and um right. yeah just just some some great tag stuff here like um i'm i'm always i was a huge fan of like the italian takaira like the the drop kick off the top into the triple power bomb right um yeah that's that's uh that's that's just great stuff yeah my, my other big otani fave and he pretty well does it in all his matches he'll get the guy down in the corner and then he'll run across the ring and and run and st- kick him in the face with his boot and like just rub the boot right across his yeah. face i i love that move i i just think that is one of the greatest moves it's such a simple little thing yet it always looks nasty um, every time he does it. And the other thing, too, about this match that I wanted to push is that Dr. Wagner always worked harder when he was in Japan. Mm. Compared his matches to what I've seen from Mexico, he always worked harder in Japan. I, I have a match on tape somewhere, I think it's a couple years before this, and I think it might have been from the juniors tournament around 97, and he had a match with Ken Moto that just blew my mind. It was just so good, so intense. Like, I just, I just really think that Wagner knew that, hey, man, in Japan, I just can't coast. I got to turn it up a notch. And I always thought his performances in Japan, particularly in this period, are just excellent. Yeah, yeah, right on. And, uh, yeah, the, the kind of almost a little bit of an odd guy out is Kendo Kashin in this, in this match. You know, he kind of, I don't know. Like a, a a team with Dr. Wagner, it's easy because they're, they're sort of two masked guys. But you kind of have right. 
Kashin like in a in an awkward spot here and then as sort of time goes on through the 2000s he almost becomes kind of a, a comedy guy after after not too long here but um yeah, yeah which is a shame because i mean he even gets the win he even gets the win in this match right he yeah he o- does yeah yeah in the arm bar and otani taps out right so yeah. the other thing i wanted to just note on here too because i i didn't realize it, it kind of goes back this far but there's a spot in this match that we see almost in every match nowadays with okada and that's at the beginning when Wagner and Takawa start off and they do this spot where they back each other into the ropes mm. and then the guy stops and he pats him on the chest and backs backs off. And I'm like, yep. when I saw it again the other day when I was watching these matches, I'm like, oh my God, I didn't, you know, I see it as such an Okada thing, but I didn't right. realize that it's, you know, something guys have been doing for years. Yeah, yeah, there you go, there you go. Um, but uh, something not not really done before or since was um, well, yeah, it was definitely done a lot of times since. But uh, yeah. kind of ripping off this this same idea or this this same organic situation. Shinya Hashimoto and uh, Naomi Ogawa. And um, last time this came up in conversation, uh, me and and Nate were talking about it uh, in 1997, where it was uh, a very sort of much more straight uh, straightforward affair but the the idea of Naryo Gawa uh, being the ace of Antonio Inoki's uh, forthcoming UFO um, right. and so this thing this idea of having uh, Agawa come in to beat Hashimoto in an non-title match and then uh, Hashimoto got got one win back and this was all supposed to be um, you know starting this this promotional train for, for UFO but UFO wasn't really doing very well um, by early 1999 and uh, so there needed to be some juice um, added into this uh, this kind of thing or some sort of extra coverage being given to, to UFO and, and to Naryo Gawa specifically. And uh, that sort of led up to this uh, infamous scenario, the, the January the 4th incident, um, as we know it, and it's something. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a it's a big thing. What what are your recollections of it? I I mean, as a guy who was, was reading huge. the Observer at the time, it was, Chris. This was huge at the time because, uh, like I said, I'm already following it. I'm reading the Observer every week, and Dave reported it and had all the stuff. And I just remember reading it at first and just going, "What the hell is going on here?" I was totally freaked out. I was totally blown away. Everybody in pro wrestling, whether you were in North America or Japan, was talking about it. Everybody was trying to figure out what was going on. Did Ogawa act on his own accord? Did Inoki put him up to it? Uh, is this the way to get these guys over? Like, to me, I I mean, Hashimoto, they were grooming Hashimoto, really, as their next big top guy. And I just, I couldn't believe that they put him in there like this and then just let Ogawa just literally kicked the living shit out of him. And it's like, I could never, I, I could never understand, maybe you can uh, explain it, but I could never understand the logic of this. And it never made sense to me. And it was kind of a, a quick little thing. And then to me, Hashimoto was never the same again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. The, to, to people who didn't, who don't know what we're talking about and, and what actually happened, um, it was a situation where, yeah, uh, they, they hadn't wrestled each other for just over a year. 
and um at the same time ufo was was building towards a, a big show a biggest show in in april they'd launched they'd not done that well um they'd sort of launched with the intent of being an mma promotion and then it kind of became a, a uwf style pro wrestling promotion um which really didn't make any sense anyway when you think about it mouth because like this was when the mma toothpaste was kind of out the tube you know right. at, at this point so yeah. it's it's very very difficult to to make i think like you know a shoot style a shoot style um pro wrestling um promotion work at this point even though like agawa had a lot of charisma um so basically this this rematch happens with with agawa and hashimoto they they sort of uh you know push each other up against the ropes it's it's clear that they're they're in striking form you know hashimoto like really goes out there and starts hacking away at Agara's legs, but Agara fights right back, you know. Um, That's the one thing that kind of um, watching the match again in the last couple of days, though, yeah, the way it starts with them just striking, like it looks so, it, it definitely looks different from anything else that's on the show, right? Which is good because you want to kind of keep people um, interested. But I, it, I think in the end, they just went too far. Yeah, I you'd had a couple of other UWFO versus uh, you'd yeah, that's, you mean that, that was a um, sort of Freudian slip, but a U, <laughs> UFO right. uh, versus New Japan matches. There, there was a couple more on this card, and they were sort of very flat and deflating and, and not particularly yeah. interesting. Um, and so you know, you you kind of think, oh, this has some energy to it. There's a, there's a little bit of of, of pep in it. It's a little bit um, better in in that regard, and the other matches that they'd had were kind of were similar but they play a little bit more i think to like agawa's judo background um whereas here they're, they're striking a lot they, they can't get free in the ropes um tiger Tori like gets bumped once um and that sort of leads the opening to to agawa really starting to go to town on on hashimoto um, and you start seeing like these these blows to the back of Hashimoto's head, like uh, some really just brutal straight oh, it's up not kicks. Those to the kicks? Head. Yeah, the yeah. kicks to the head are just friggin' nasty. Like that's yeah. just and and talk. I want you to talk a little bit about Hashimoto's reaction because you talk a little bit about it in the book. But wh- like, why did Hashimoto lo- like? Even if I don't know, to me, even if this was a planned thing, I, I would not lie there and take it while some guy's kicking me in the head like that. Yeah, I I mean there's there's two like it's it's hard. I mean I said I, I think I said this in the book that that this has become this is basically the Japanese version of the Montreal Screwdriver yes. in, in yes. terms of how it's been sort of dissected from so many angles and right. how it's been regurgitated as an angle like a, you know or how it was in in the ensuing years. Um but it's one thing, you know, I think like the thing with the Montreal Screwjob is that everybody's sort of come clean on it at this point, right, you know, and right. and whereas here it's it's very hard, you know. Obviously, we can't ask Hashimoto directly, right. and uh, you know, Inoki and, and Ogawa will will hold it much much more dearly. But like, you know, the the things that point towards this being at least somewhat planned out on a surface level to me are the fact that. Uh, first of all, like Hattori takes like this this big ref bump, and it's a very right. sort of pro wrestling style ref bump, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, it, it's clear at that point. Okay, this is going to go to a no contest, and that and that's what eventually happens is that they they throw the whole thing out, right? Um, 
and it's it's also the fact that yeah Hashimoto is a little bit um yeah a little bit passive um and and also the Hashimoto and Ogawa you got on <laughs> apart from right, this they you were know, buddies they, yeah they, exactly yeah. Exactly. They knew each other. They were friends. Yeah. 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 So I, I and yeah, it, it was one of these things. There was this uh, line from a Nobuhiko Takada interview where where he did call Hashimoto afterwards and like say, you, you know, why? Why yeah, didn't and, you do anything? And he said it was like out of a sense of loyalty or something, right? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, he said it basically. He said like he had to honor the booking, you know. And right. So that you know that that was that. But I mean, obviously, it was taken. Um, too far in Ogawa's hands, which which probably was, uh, you know, we can't say it for one hundred percent certain, but everybody else who was who was there at the time, um, from Tiger Mask through Jushin Liger through everyone else, it, you know, seems to think that it was at Inoki's bidding um, yeah. to really kind of you know make yourself famous, kid, and and also we're kind of in a desperate spot. We need something, um, and yeah, I mean, like Ogawa took it took it very very far, and uh, yeah, it, it turned into this 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 whole thing. Um, now, 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 do you think it was all, all worth it? Because to me, I don't know. Did they really get that much out of all this? Well, you know, I think at the time, yeah, I, I probably at the time it made sense. You know, I, I think like. Probably at the time they're thinking oh, was like this is going to spin into something big for Hashimoto, uh, you know, eventually, and and this became you know Hashimoto took a lot of time off over the 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 next few months, um, but like this Agawa stuff was was going to turn into the next chapter in in Shinya Hashimoto's career, and it eventually it kind of did, but not in the way they they planned out. Um, but it it made sense from Inoki's standpoint of okay we're we're gonna get the you know some some big hopefully mainstream coverage on Agawa and that's hopefully gonna drive tickets to to UFO in in Yokohama Arena what they were running in in April um, right but the April show just tanked you know and yeah. like even at the time um, Inoki was like this this just really despondent afterwards you know and, and kind of saying well we told everybody about it but nobody came you know and um, so it it just it didn't plan out. And um, yeah, as far as Hashimoto was concerned, I mean, in a sort of poetic or romantic sense, yeah, it sort of sparked this big narrative for him. But it definitely hurt his his stature, I think. Um, I do, I do too. I, I I think it's unquestionable, man. It was just, it was just, he was just not taken the same after that, you know. Yeah, for real, for real, and uh, yeah, it, it became. Uh, but it it became the thing in in wrestling for for better or for worse for the, for the next few years, and um, yeah, it, it it's telling that that this match um, was what third from the top, um, and just complete silence in the in the two main events. The the, the <laughs> well, that's it. Well, how, do you, how do you follow? I mean, yeah, exactly, exactly. You would be in shocked, stunned silence, right? Like, yeah. imagine if um. The Michaels Bret Hart match had been in the middle of the card in, instead of the finish. You would have, it would the same thing would have happened, right? The crowd would have been just so stunned by what they saw that they wouldn't. There'd be no reaction to anything well, else. Yeah, but I mean, then it, it it is an interesting thing if you if you push that Montreal stuff a little bit further. You know, I mean, imagine if if Montreal had happened and yet somehow Bret Hart was still in the company and they, they went and did Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels again, like four more times over the next right. two years. Like right. how would right. that work out? And, right. and that's, would it have that's worked? what we saw. Right. 
Mm. Yeah, good question. Yeah, good question. Um, okay, so like jumping ahead uh, to uh, April of that year, um, one of my favorite t- titles of these shows. But like, it is. This is great. Strong I style symphony. <laughs> yeah, strong Lovely. style symphony. I know what. It's, that's one of honestly. That's one of the things I love about the way they title the shows. I think they're great. Um, yeah. um, working on the audio book with you, and you know, going through each one, and they all have great titles like that. I love it. I think I think that's one of the coolest things about the them is the way they give. They're much better than like backlash, extreme mm-hmm. rules. You know, they they have much better titles. Sure, sure. So um, yeah, ag- again, your pick for this one. <laughs> Kanemoto and Otani, um, but uh, yeah, definitely. I I rewatched this uh, this match this this past week and um, was very very much into it. But uh, yeah, d- tell us a little bit about Koji Kanemoto and, Sh- and Shinjiro Otani. Uh, again, how can I don't see how any pro wrestling fan, whether you don't even know anything about Japan or anything, uh, can't watch these matches and enjoy them. I mean, these guys, especially these two, have such great chemistry. Um, with them, I love the way they shook hands at the beginning of the match, even though they're rivals. Um, I, I love the pacing. I love the way it starts out kind of fast, and then they slow it down, and then Otani starts to go after uh, Kanemoto's knee, and you know he's stretching it over the top rope. And I just again the simple stuff that Otani does. He takes his knuckle and just rubs his knuckle into the knee. Like it's the simplest thing. But when you watch that, you go, "Ow, that would hurt. Mm. That would." Like I just, I just think that he's such a great performer. Everything he does sells his attitude, his look, his facials, the way he wrestles, and Kanemoto too. I mean, he's just super talented guy. And uh, I, I just, I just find that on a lot of these big shows, you know, when you send the list, pick a match from each show. I'm just like, I have to highlight these guys because a, I think Otani needs to be more recognized, and b. Think about what we have today, Chris, with guys like Will Ospreay, Ricochet, Zack Sabre, uh, the British guys. I mean, these guys like Otani and Kanemoto, to me, were so influential on what is almost the common style now. Like even in the Mm. WWE, you get a more fast-paced, smaller guy thing. It's not really about big guys like when I was a little kid and stuff like that. And I just – I just – I guess I just wanted to use this platform to let people know about these guys because if you don't know and you haven't seen these and you're a fan of guys like Ricochet and Will Ospreay and Zack Sabre Jr. and Jay White and those guys, you need to watch some of these matches because this is, to me, this is the roots of where so much of wrestling is right now today. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and and the the sort of story to this match as well was like Otani and, and Kanemoto knowing each other so well because yes. they'd wrestled so many times and, and they were uh, sort of teaming together and, and were part of that that little stable but like Kanemoto had um, taken this this shot at the title he'd beaten uh, Jushin Liger in March so this was like his, his first defense and right. um you know, Otani was saying, "Oh, you've 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 already had so many chances at, at the the junior heavyweight title." Um, but like Kanemoto saying, "You know, I wanted to go out and I wanted to take it," and saying like he'd spent, you know, the last couple of years kind of in the shadow of like Otani and, and Takaiwa. So this was his chance to to sort of step out on his own again. Right. Um, and so you you had the spit off. I I loved like the fact that a lot of it was 
going for drop kicks and having like these springboard drop kicks and and what have you just swatted away as a counter. Yeah. Like I yeah. love that. Yeah. yeah. Um and then eventually when when you do get um when you do get like the 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 drop kick it it's coming out of like the Otani face wash and like that as a as a counter just like standing up and and rocking um rocking Otani like a lot of yeah I mean a lot of like the the junior heavyweight style that we see with with um someone like Osprey, but also a lot of like Katsuyori Shibata, like you, you can't, yep. you know, not see him without looking at Otani and, and Kanemoto as well. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. A, a great match. Probably the best match on this card, I would think. Um, That's the yeah. other, other reasons. Cause I, again, I, I, I tend to, and I'm, I'm being, <laughs> I'm being selfish. I'm picking the matches that I really enjoyed. I'm not necessarily picking <laughs> what is, historically significant i left that up to you i just right. kind of picked i just kind of picked the ones that brought a big smile to my face and i'm like oh hmm three otani matches to watch today <laughs> that's rough i don't know if i can handle that right, right. <laughs> yeah well i mean speaking of yeah i, I do kind of my, my taking the more sort of historically significant uh route uh my pick from the april show was chono and Atsushi Onita, and uh, that's 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 awkward going from Otani to Onita. Yeah, it's the exact opposite side. So, of the exact- <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, exact opposite, but also like because they're so close naming wise. You know, every time I'm looking at my notes here on my phone, like every time I've written Onita, I've written Otani, and like vice versa. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, um, well, there you go. But like, I mean, Onita, of course, you know, he had that. Junior heavyweight wrestling background in that's in right all in all Japan, Japan. You know? yeah. yeah. I, I was uh, Giant Barber's personal assistant uh, for a period before breaking away, starting FMW, um, where he was apparently such so f- quick to anger and, and such a hot temper um, that uh, Gedo was was working for for Anita and like Anita said oh you know Anita had a big plans for Gedo to have his, his singles debut at the first FMW show um, and so like uh, you know Gedo was called into uh, Anita's office given this spot it's like here kid you've, you've got this big match well done congratulations and like Gedo's like I'm sorry I can't take the bookings like why not because I quit you know like oh. just couldn't couldn't deal with um with wow. anita like gato saying like you know anita would get would get mad he would just grab anything and just hurl it you know it doesn't matter whether it was a, just a, a bulled up piece of paper or, or like a scalding hot cup of coffee like he would just <laughs> slam, i guess you know? you know we always say chris a lot of the best pro wrestlers are just exaggerations of themselves i guess yeah obviously his in-ring character was just an exaggeration of what he was like yeah, there you go. Um, he'd sort of left. This was where FMW was was at a difficult point and kind of transitioning stylistically, and that there just really wasn't room for Anita in in FMW uh, at at this time. And uh, well, there's your link because you you did those FMW VHSs. Yes, I right? did. <laughs> so maybe you yes, can speak I did. to, I did. to I did. FMW in '98 and '99. Oh, it was oh, it was just incredibly crazy. Like, I mean, again, in North America, people might think about ECW and stuff at the same time, but uh, FMW was way crazier, um, way more gimmick matches. I mean, they did that crazy thing with Hayabusa and Ganesuke where they put the firecracker in his butt and they lit the firecracker. Like, like they just did the craziest stuff. But then at the same time, you'd have guys like Hayabusa that was 
like one of the most amazing flying aerial wrestlers of all time. Again, another guy that I'm sure was a huge influence on the on the smaller guys of today. Um, so yeah, it was those shows were always crazy because you would have the crazy garbage kind of style matches, but then you'd also get someone like Hayabusa that would do like an amazing, you know, just such an, a great, amazing aerial wrestler. So, um, I, when I was doing those tapes, I would, I would sometimes find them really awesome. And then other times I would find them incredibly just stupid because they would just carry things too far, you know? Mm. And it's just like, okay, You've just you've kind of crossed the line here. Sticking a firecracker up a guy's ass, I think you've crossed the line here, you know. <laughs> and then years later, DDT. <laughs> yeah, well, well, yeah, the same time actually. But um, yeah, so Anito at this time found himself out of FMW, um, and uh, actually went away. This was around the time I think was his probably his first of many retirements. Um, well, yes, yes, he's as good as Terry Funk at uh, stretching out the retirements. Yeah, there you go. Um, went away and got his high school diploma at something like 43. So good for him <laughs> at, at this sort of stage of his life. It's like, oh, I'm retired. Might as well graduate high school. Um, a teacher with a chair and stole the diploma, I'm guessing. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, and then sort of, yeah, came into New Japan, was doing New Japan dates as well as war dates um in 1999 and so there was this instant sort of natural feud of of Anita versus like the 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 guys that represented everybody that was new japan so right. like Riki choshu being right. like the the guy in the office but he'd sort of retired at this point um you know so they they would eventually build to like this big barbed wire match with with choshu and anita but in the meantime anita couldn't get to choshu so like anita would go after uh kensuke sasaki and stuff, right 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 um and uh yeah so then it it sort of comes up to uh anita and, and masahiro chono chono had just, just sort of was making his big comeback from from injury and was kind of in this position where like he was kind of out of the NWO. And so, you know, this, this transition between NWO and team 2000 was, was going on um, pretty soon. And, um, you know, so both of these guys being kind of outsiders, I think was, was the, the, the thing behind this one. Um, And uh, so we had this exploding barbed wire death match that was, uh, quote unquote unsanctioned it was like the first match on the card but yeah. like you know it was billed as like the zero match or the, the the dark match or whatever um which i think was probably like a calculated move because they probably had to change the canvas and change the ropes and all of this oh, well, stuff so, like, exactly. they, they put it on for the main show yeah, the ropes are entirely covered in barbed wire i just i just love the spectacle of this match i love mm. you know chono chono comes out in an like an armored vehicle yes and yeah, he's, wearing yeah. this, he's wearing this heavy protective leather suit <laughs> right onita you know he's in jeans and a friggin' white t-shirt yeah his yeah. arm all taped up from previous matches and i love it the ref the referees are wearing goggles, goggles. yeah there's, Brilliant. there's barbed wire all around the ropes there's flashing siren lights on top of every ring post 
Like that, yeah, that is the goofiest part. Of that match. <laughs> I mean, it's a, the the barbed wire and the explosions, and you you kind of, you know that's cool. And then like the the yeah the sirens going off is it like after two minutes or something of the match? Yes, that's yes. that's when they turn on the electric current. You know, and, like the sirens. And so they they've taken something that was sort of very cool, like cutting edge, or like you know, it's like going from. ECW to like you know WCW Halloween Havoc 1990 kind of yeah thing right, right. Up, you know but uh, but I mean there was I'm not a fan of this this kind of match really but right. I mean when it comes to this kind of match I think they did it well um, you know there, there's sort of bits you know stuff like like when they turn the the current on this out like Chono sometimes somehow gets a chair and he starts whacking Anita with it and they do this great visual where like Chono gets pissed off and he throws the chair at Anita Anita ducks and the chair goes into the ropes and the ropes right. explode you know so it's like you... this this visual tease of like someone's gonna go right. into there you know so right. I, I thought that was cool yeah I, I the match itself yeah is I, I liked the idea that you know, Anita's the crazy guy and we'll try and get him in the bar while, but Chono is, he's doing the STF, he's doing the knee bars and stuff. So he's, it's almost like he's going to try and make him submit rather than throw him in the barbed wire. Right. And, uh, the other thing I love in this is there's one spot where I, I, it sounds to me like Chono's just, he's beating on Anita and he just yells at him. This is not wrestling. <laughs> yes. And he, he, he really believed that, right? Like Chono was no, not no. a fan of doing these matches at all. So I, I love that in the actual match, he yells right at Onita. This is not wrestling. I thought that was great. Yeah. 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 But uh, then of course it's, it's kind of like I said, one, one of the things that, you know, I said this when, when we was on and we were looking at another Anita match, um, it's like ski jumping, you know, it's like the first time you see like the big ski jump, it's very exciting. You know, and then like about 200 other people do it and it gets, right. less. you know, so the thing is, you know, you've got the one big fall into the ropes, but then after that, it's diminishing returns. Right. Um, you know, and then, yeah, there, there was, they, they grabbed, Anita grabs the poor, like, a war ref for, like, about a minute, you know, while, like, Jonah steadily knocks him backwards into the ropes. So, like, the, the referee goes down, and then, uh, you know, Tori steps in gingerly, and then everybody goes down, and, yeah, they, they just sort of, they just kind of throw it out at the end, and it's like, Yeah, it's, like, uh, it looks like they both can't answer the 10 count, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. But uh, yeah, so kind of now, such a I wanted, I wanted to ask you, Chris, why, like, like, was this just New Japan saying we need to diversify or that this is a big Tokyo Dome show and we need other extra attractions? Like, I'm like, why kind of is the match there? Um, yeah, I I think it it was kind of like yeah this, this chance to diversify a bit and like you know Anita wanted to do it and like it was. Yeah, it was kind of this thing where, you know, perhaps at this point, like, you're looking at, uh, at war being on the brink of death. And so there was this, perhaps a, a thing of, well, perhaps we should be a bit more like war and, and have a little bit more variety uh, in things. Um, and at the same time, perhaps like a little bit of you know maybe you could speculate here a little bit of a lack of consistency in in leadership in in general and so like you have this clouded vision in a way that that's going to really start coming in and really affect things over the next few years um where okay so it, it's choshu's got the book but like in inoki is the owner 
Um, and then you have um, this transition in the presidency. You know, Seiji Sakaguchi is stepping down and Tatsubi and Fujinami, like, stepping in. Right. And um, a lot of these things where, yeah, it, it was it was a thing, you know, I think Liger said about, about this at the time, where, like, if he had something... If you went, you know, Choshu was just like, we're doing this. And he was, he was a bit of a prick about it, but you had like a, a fixed thing. This, this is what's going to happen. Whereas right. like with Fujinami, like he proposed stuff and Fujinami would be like, okay, cool. Yeah, I, I see that. I'll take that into consideration. And then he'd forget about it, you know, or like, <laughs> you know, he'd sort of pass the buck a lot. So, I mean, it was, yeah, just a, a yeah, a kind of a broadening in a good sense. It would be a broadening of of their their sort of outlook, but in a bad sense, a, a lack of consistent direction. I think. Right. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the the next show we're going to look at here is uh, All Japan making their their second Tokyo Dome uh, appearance, but in unhappy circumstances. This was the the giant bomb, the uh, giant barber, giant bomb. Good grief. Um, <laughs> the Giant Barber retirement show, not something that it's very often sort of mistranslated as, as the memorial show. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a retirement uh, commemorative show because uh, the idea being that the Giant Barber was, was kind of Im- immortal in a sense. And um, yeah. Well, and I had... think with retirement, it's not memorials may be seen as a little bit of a downer. And I mm. think, you know, with you say retirement, it's kind of not maybe as nasty or whatever. Or just as, as Like you say, it's not as sad, you know. Yeah, yeah, and and that's you know what I wanted to look at from the show was like the the retirement match of of Giant Baba, um, which you know had this kind of a bizarre sort of way of setting it up, but it was it was pretty cool to have like Gene Kaniski and yes. and San Martino, San Martino and, and yeah. the Destroyer, and they'd, they'd all sort of go in there, and then you've just got uh, Baba represented by his boots, and and they they sort of did the the traditional sort of video package and the running down his career, but. Um, you know, done as a retirement match um, was was something novel and, and really kind of yeah, like touching it in a really good way. And, and I I, I totally agree with you. I think it was really cool the way they did it like this, uh, having the guys come out and then showing footage of Baba fighting each guy, um, each guy you know like getting to say their kind of farewells. You know, Lord James Blears, until we meet again. You know. Kaniski, you know, Gene Kaniski, I thought was great. Um, Bruno, I mean, how many times did Baba and Bruno really fight each other? I don't. They weren't like huge rivals, were they? Um, God, I, this is yeah. It's it's gonna be difficult for me to really pin out. Probably like you'd be looking at them doing more stuff in the sixties. I imagine. Yeah, like, like, I guess when you look at the clips. And they show him obviously with the yeah, it's it's a lot of older stuff. Yeah, with Gene Kaniski, there's different matches. Whereas I think with the Bruno, I think it was all just footage from one particular match. Mm, so I'm mm. just curious how many times they had actually met each other in the ring. Yeah, and you you had that thing with you know as far as San Martino because like San Martino was was working for for the McMahon's, so yeah. like that would have been something that probably broadly would have precluded that mm-hmm. um but uh yeah i mean like a lot of jwa stuff you know it seems they were doing a lot of stuff in like 1967 68 so around around there like before right right uh, before the split with with all japan um but uh yeah and then, and then you had like that that you know 
what usually happens when when guys retire in in Japan. You know, you, you had the, they run the video package and the guys standing in the ring while uh, while their accomplishments are being listed off. But like, of course, with with Bubba, it's just his his boots there. But um, just a, a really great image and like, like this whole thing of his widow, right? M- M- Makoto Baba mm. taking the boots in herself, yeah. placing them in the ring, the spotlight. You know, even to me, playing the All Japan theme music, because to me, when I first started getting into All Japan, New Japan, well, I liked both the theme music for both because New Japan used Emerson, Lake and Palmer. Mm. But All Japan, I love that theme to this day because it reminds me of such an old school kind of sports, raw, raw, it's like a high school football team music or something, you know, and I I always... Mm have loved that music from day one. I always, uh, you know, whenever I would make my mixed tapes of all Japan stuff, I would always put the credits at the beginning just so I could hear that music. I just, Mm. I always thought it was one of the coolest pieces of music. And I love the way that they played it before all the guys came out. And that, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it was interesting to to see Makoto Baba there. Of course we lost her like earlier in the year, right? um, earlier in this year in 2018. Um, and it's it's something that that strikes you. I, I don't know how much of, of the rest of the show we you, you've watched Mouth, but like you you really see and like you see with um, with Bubber and in, in mind with Mrs. Bubber in mind here, like how different like all Japan in the Tokyo Dome is visually to New Japan in the right. Tokyo Dome. Right. Yeah. Yes. Um, and that was just such like the it really strikes the the difference philosophically that, that was going on here because you know in New Japan you you have the big ramp and you have the huge set and the big screens even through the even through the nineties you know yeah um yeah. and here it's yeah it's it's a ring it's on a platform at least but like yeah there's there's no big stage no big setup you know they they're using the sort of standard big screen in the in the arena there's like you know a, a red bit long bit of red carpet long bit of blue carpet and that's it <laughs> yeah yeah it doesn't have certainly the crazy lights thing that always blows me away on the new japan show is they always have amazing lights mm. like when the guys are making their entrances to the ring and stuff it's almost blinding the craziness with the lights whereas yeah this one you know, much more sedate, much more kind of, you know, laid back type of approach. Yeah, yeah. And and this was just, you know, this was would have been before Baba passed and, you know, really in the in the sort of middle of 1998, he, he passed like the, all the booking duties to uh, Misawa. Right. So, you know, Misawa had the had the book at this point and it was just constant butting heads uh with miss baba from yeah from this well, point until that's the one thing did you notice in this there's this one amazing shot where they're showing um everybody kind of w- just watching the ceremony and there's misawa and kawada standing mm. side by side and i'm thinking wow there's the guy that left and there's yeah. the guy that stayed yeah and in the little while i'm just i thought wow this is so interesting because as we all know, Misawa will leave because of what you just talked about, butting heads with Baba's widow, and he leaves and forms Noah. And Kawada was like the one, the one guy, of, yeah, the top guy that stayed was Kawada. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, they, I mean, this was one of the things they butted heads on was production. You know, Misawa yeah. saying, you know, we're we're going into, you know, it's it's the new millennium, it's it's the modern age, and you can't just have a ring and a bit of carpet. You know. Right. Right. And you need to have like these these big stages, these big fireworks, and like Miss Baba was just a flat no. That's not all Japan, you know. 
and uh, you know all sorts of other allegations. You know, I think Miss Miss ends would would be you want to sh- cut costs so you can line your own pockets better. I think would probably be what yeah. Miss Howie would have said at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, a very yeah a, a touching tribute and a very interesting one. Um, you know, considering the the figures coming out from there and yeah. uh, what yeah. happened? Yeah. And it's appropriate, yeah, your pick uh, for for matches. This uh, this one, we're going to date this show. That's, that's probably most people aren't going to listen to this until a good deal later. But as we're recording this, um, Vader passed away a couple of weeks ago, and right. uh, you picked a, the Vader main event for for your match. Yeah, Vader Vader against Misawa again, because much like I loved the juniors in New Japan, the thing that always drew me to All Japan. Was the was the the great main events with Kobashi, Kawada, Misawa, and 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 putting guys like Vader in that mix, and I just loved the style. Again, you know, as I, I was at the time too, I was also somewhat fed up with North American wrestling. I was kind of tired of it, um, and I just found all Japan to be like this breath of fresh air, and just and this real intensity, like a real intensity to pro wrestling that I thought was missing huge was one of the things that really drew me to, to all Japan and just the way the fact that both Masawa and Vader are out there and they're clocking each other with big forearms and they're doing suplexes where they're dropping each other on their like on their heads and stuff and power power bombs on the on the floor what was that one part Masawa Vader's lying on the outside and Masawa jumps over the top rope and does a like a, a flying body press to Vader, who's lying on the floor. Vader doesn't even really catch him. He's yeah. lying on the floor. I'm like, just the intensity. And I've always been a huge Vader fan, and I've always been a huge Misawa fan. Again, to me, these guys are legends. Um, certainly Vader's time in Japan, extraordinary. Um, the creation of the gimmick, of course, was from New Japan. I, I can't believe that they even considered putting that helmet on the Ultimate Warrior. That just that just <laughs> makes me laugh. But Vader, and, and he's such a connection to Japan, and I really feel that stuff's kind of the highlight of his career. His WWF run was a bit of a joke. I mean, after a great um, initial entry and that angle where he beat up a Gorilla Monsoon as the president, they kind of just wasted him because certain performers like Shawn Michaels didn't want to work with him. And I just think he got his... He did always did great in Japan. Guys like Masawa and that always worked awesome with him. And, you know, I love this. They're trying to do each other's moves in this. Like Vader actually does a tiger driver, which I yeah. I thought was absolutely amazing. And just just the, even the more realistic approach, like when they're on the outside and they're trying to um, – I think Vader's trying to powerbomb Masawa. And it's like Masawa won't let him lift him up. And I'm like – in a normal North American match, the first time the guy would try, he'd pick the guy up, he'd powerbomb him. And I just loved in Japan the way that kind of stuff didn't happen. Like they would do this great approach of you got to work the guy down before you can give him something as big as a powerbomb. And I just – I love the thinking. I love the thought process. And I mean I don't see how anyone cannot like matches like this. And I also thought um, Masao wins the title from Vader in this match too. And I thought – that's great. Kind of that, you know, still the still the guy that's leading the promotion in terms of what the fans see. He wins the belt back at the Baba um, retirement show. I thought I thought that was a pretty awesome finish to the event as well. 
Yeah, I mean to to go in with with what you were saying about things stylistically, there's um, kind of a, a line that gets trotted out an awful lot about sort of both companies, as, especially as it relates to the '90s and like strong style from New Japan as opposed to like Odo style, like Kings Road for for All Japan, is that. Um, New Japan was about offense and all Japan was about defense. Right. And that's something like that you, you really kind of see in the story of this match where like Misara, like whatever he does, like he's getting swatted away by Vegas. Yeah. For yeah. Most of it. He's just like a bear, like toying with him, <laughs> toying with Misara, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, when when Misara finally does get that German off on on Vader, just that the place goes oh. absolutely ballistic. Yeah. Oh yeah, they go nuts, man. Oh yeah, the, even mm. even um, when uh, when Vader's getting the upper hand and he power bombs him, um, Misawa on the outside, the crowd just just erupts. And then yeah, once Misawa gets that suplex, yeah, the crowd like by the end of that match, the crowd was just going nuts, man. They were like totally wrapped up in that match. Yeah, and and like a 16-minute main event as well, which is something that really these days you, you don't expect. It's like, you know, a main event, especially in the Tokyo Dome, he's like, oh, this this has to go 25, 30, right. 40 an minutes. Right, like, one hour or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I mean, it, it's... This, this match is probably, like, all the better for being, like, 16 minutes. You know, I, I think, like, it's it's perfectly paced. I, um, yeah. I you know, I, I don't, you don't feel shortchanged at the end. You've watched two guys really have a very, very intense match. And again, because of that heavy-duty intensity of it, it doesn't need to be long. Like Exactly. It, it's believable that, okay, mm. that's it. Like, they, they've worn each other out. Like, it's it doesn't need to be an hour long, right? So, yeah, yeah I, liked, I, I liked that about it, too. Because a lot of times, you know, when, when uh, Kawada or Kobashi or Misawa would have main event matches against each other they would go fairly long sometimes too right mm, sure yeah sure so yeah and uh yeah they they want sort of telling a slightly ominous line where like uh you know miss always getting interviewed at the end and the, the thing goes out on is like giant baba will he will always be my boss yeah you know, with this yeah. this time like yeah he's he's my boss but like you're not you know that that kind of thing i think and, that was a little how how long before the before he left after this show was it within a year it was just over a year okay. yeah so it would have been the the summer of 2000 okay uh, but um yeah i can imagine things were already like kind of fractured at this point yeah sure um so let's uh let's round out the year at a final dome 1999 uh a show that was this time they realized that they, they were going to go for Agara and Hashimoto again, but they, right. they realized not to put it deep down this time. It was, it was the main event yeah. on, on this show. Um, and a much more structured affair this time. Yeah, yeah. Well, build as, okay, this is going to be the last time we do it. Um, it's it's neither of our picks, but uh, just so to, to people who are, who are on Tentahooks, but like the, this... This whole idea of okay, this this is it. This is the last one. This this is the true decider, you know. And and they they sort of put Fujinami in like a, a ref role, and so it's like a little bit goofy already. Um, and so they uh, yeah they they did it where really Hashimoto and Agawa for for the rest of the, of their duration of, the, of this feud, it would be Hashimoto just can't get anything against Agawa, right? And so this this prolonged like kind of. 
redemption that that never really happens and like in the end of Agora it was just yeah quite a, a visual thing of like STO 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 and like eventually like it, get, it gets it, you know it gets stopped and the match gets stopped because there's so many STOs but um yeah the devastating space tornado Ogawa. <laughs> so that like yeah that's it's it's amazing you know i said this tonight it's amazing like this this move that is in like the wrestling parlance everybody just goes sto <laughs> yeah, yeah that's yeah, an sto yeah, yeah. without knowing it stands for something as stupid as space tornado Ogawa, you know? that's pretty cool yeah i like <laughs> i'm glad you brought that up that's that's awesome yeah um but uh yes uh again we're gonna jump into junior tag team land yeah yeah otani uh takiyawa versus kanemoto and minura tanaka who again was Mm. another guy that just was so great in uh Mm. uh in this uh promotion you know such a super talented guy um on this one the clip that I found uh, online of the match actually had a bit of the press conference that they did beforehand, yes. and I loved it. I loved it. It's so simple, and they they're all there in suits. No one's kicking over the table. No one's smashing chairs. They're just kind of looking at each other, and then Kanemoto, of course, and Otani kind of get into it and slap each other. But like, just I just love these simple, simple ways of building up matches that. That New, New Japan, I think, is so great, yeah, especially nowadays, at just building matches on the simplest of principles, yet making it intriguing. You know what I mean? And then, and then building everything up with uh, the guys kind of meeting first in tag matches before you get to the – like at the last – at the Dominion show where they're teasing uh, Minoru Suzuki there and uh, Ibushi. I'm just like – or Ishii, I mean. Uh, Ishii and Minoru Suzuki. I'm like – I loved that, and it's like just so simple and basic, you know. I, I yeah, I, yeah, I love that. And this is like a, a simple story, really, you know. And like here's Kanemoto, who was like sort of aligned with Otani, and and you know he he spits away. And Kanemoto and Minoru Tanaka is like the, now they're the the opposite of what like Otani and Takaiwa stand for, because right. here's like you know two really handsome like good looking <laughs> guys, you know like blonde hair and and whatever, you know, and they make a point in the in the announcing that oh that they've got so many so many girls love these guys, you know, and, and that kind of thing. <laughs> so it's just yeah, and and so that obviously stands against you know what what they what the original sort of idea was or Otani's idea was, and so yeah, it becomes great. And of course, like this sort of speaks to some of the backwards thinking that was going on, like, you know, just two or three years after this, you know, Minoru Tanaka, who like, yeah, I mean, a very, very good looking man. So what are we going to do with him? You know, this this guy that that looks great. He has, you know, quite a good female following. Well, we should probably put him under a mask. Yeah, ridiculous. eh? Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. 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 But uh, but that was a, that was a good time before this one and like yeah, um, Minoru is great. Like the I love the 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 sort of that Northern Lights or is it like a T bone suplex mm-hmm. and just floats mm-hmm. straight over into an armbar like that looks oh, gorgeous. Yeah. Brilliant and dude, even simple stuff like the finger bite. I love the finger bite. <laughs> I I mean okay, I guess it's kind of silly, but the way these guys the way they do things. They can take stuff like that, and to me, I'm just like – and again, I think a lot of times with pro wrestling, it's hard for people to engage because they're seeing something that they can't identify with. 
everybody can identify with having their finger being bitten. Mm, or try, mm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just think sometimes the simplest things work better because even a face slap, when there's a real hard face slap, when someone, everybody's been slapped across the face. They can kind of identify what it was. And I, I just love the way that they use simple things like that um, to, to their advantage, you know, instead of always worrying about being a high-flying 25 rotations in the air dive or something, right? They can... You can get almost as much, sometimes more, out of something as simple as a finger bite. Right, and and this belt so well, like the the closing oh, stretch yeah. to this is phenomenal. Yeah. Like the last sort of three four minutes yeah. of this match is is electric. It's it's really great. That's another thing that I always loved about the new New Japan Juniors is that's usually what would happen. They would it would get to a certain point where would the 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 crowd would start to bite and they would realize it and they would just turn it up and yeah the the Exactly. Last five, ten minutes would be just like outstanding, uh, you know, from start to finish. The other thing, too, I've always loved, uh, then you see it in all the junior matches, is I love the way when two, two of them are engaged, the other two partners work really hard to keep the other guy out of interfering. Like, I, I just, I just let, like, he'll take him and throw him out on the outside and they'll do right. something outside. Even the one, I, I, I don't, I, I think he was in this match where there's at one point where, um, I think it's uh, uh, Takawa and Tanaka are doing a spot, and Kanemoto is actually standing in the ring, just watching. Yeah, just funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I love that stuff. It's so simple, yet it, it, it's such great ideas. You know, such great thinking. I you never see that in over here. Well, like the, <laughs> it does remind me though. Like uh, again, to to date this, this was last week. I went to uh, Minoru Suzuki's. Um, 30th anniversary festival oh nice um, oh that must have been awesome oh god i mean like they did two shows in the open air like sunday was gorgeous weather but like the, the saturday it was just an absolute like monsoon just completely tipping it down oh, that's like, right. they I had this. yes i read about this yeah yeah suzuki in the rain. Yeah, Suzuki versus Okada went like 30 minutes, like it just tipping down in rain. It was, it was, it was awesome. Like it was, yeah, very, very wet. But like um, the the second day, they had uh, Super Sasadango Machine and Sanjiro Takagi from DDT. Yeah, and they were wrestling uh, Rocky Kawamura and um, Junkasai. And like the idea was, to, like Sasadango Machine's always got this this goofy gimmick where he does. Uh, uh, powerpoint presentation before every match and like sort of explaining the rules and stuff and like he did this thing with okay we're, we're having a tag team match and there's probably a lot of people here that are seeing wrestling for the first time um so how can we get people to to enjoy it and like he said well we should have we should have commentary um because sometimes the commentary is the best part of the matches and like but they can they didn't have any announcers so like he said what we'll do is we'll have uh the normal tag match, but the, whoever's not legal has to do commentary. Oh. <laughs> so they were they were going in and, cu- and cutting off people and like stopping them interfering and, and commentating at the same time. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> um, my uh, my pick for this one, the the last one, the last uh, match of the show again, very very different um, in terms of our our picking philosophies. I think as uh, you know, I, I tend to go. You know what? I'm actually glad you picked this one because I don't remember seeing it at the time, and mm. I was really surprised. I, this was actually a really great match. Yeah, Manabu Nakanishi and uh, and Keiji Muto, and uh, yeah, a, a very different style of match. Uh, certainly, obviously, to the 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 junior yes. stuff. Yes, but, yes. 
you saw kind of a lot of you know people now are only aware of Manabe Nikinishi is like the, the guy in his fifties that that just does you know he doesn't his, have his that thing. awesome head of hair anymore. He certainly does not. No, and uh, you know he moves a good deal slower, and yeah. like, you know he has big breakfasts, and that's his thing. Um, and has you know one probably one really great match every year with Yuji Nagata, and like, <laughs> like you know. Um, but you know, at, at this point, you know, he had a sort of monster 1999 and um won the g1 climax and then was was in this in this position with with keiji muto where um yeah like you said a, a surprisingly good match i think really made by just how over nakanishi is mm. and i just and just the story of the match too and the way that the story is carried out like this really reminded me of almost the 70s style American match, and it also really reminded me of something like Flair versus Luger, where you know Flair is really working hard to help knock to help Luger out, who's maybe not the most talented wrestler. Sure, sure, sure. And I thought Mudo and Nakanishi are kind of working the same way here, right? They're kind of yeah. And I, I mean, it's not just because Nakanishi likes the torture rack as well as like Luger, but I just got this real feeling that they're they were really working together well to get a story across in a very simple way yet a very effective way yeah yeah and you see like how kind of limited nakanishi is like offensively because like he does have that that argentine and like you know the the spear and stuff but um so it's it's yeah everything's done very simply around, around that arm again like uh this was the the semi but a reasonably kept reasonably short like you know in the teens as, as opposed to, to minutes are concerned and um yeah just just huge big very very big crowd reactions and it, it makes no surprise that that Manabunikanishi was like not really set to be the guy just yet but he could it's one of those what might have been right. if like he'd have had that match with with Goldberg in on January the 4th which was the plan at this point right you know right yeah, no, I, 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 I really enjoyed this. I love the story, basically, of that Nakanishi's trying to get, you know, the torture rack on, the backbreaker on, and and Mudo just keeps finding ways to get out of it, right? And I, I just thought it's really simple. It's, um, you know, you're working. It's like the classic Paul Heyman. You're working to the guy's strengths. You're not showing the weaknesses. Um, I think the simplicity of it got the crowd really into it. Really deliberate pacing. Nothing's really rushed in it, and just and just all the different ways. I think Mudo gets out of the the backbreaker almost a different way every time. And uh, they have the one I love the one spectacular one where they're near the ropes and he dumps Mudo over mm. the rope, and then and then the momentum causes him to go with him. I thought, yeah, yeah. I thought that was a great looking spot. Like, yeah, I just I just thought the two of them, and I thought Mudo in particular, he did a great job at making Nakanishi look really good in this match i thought and i i just thought it was great storytelling and like you said it's coming off the g1 nakanishi beat him in the g1 earlier in the year so you know they've got that set up and then the match itself so because sometimes again in modern stuff not so much in japan because they're always awesome at uh, but the actual story of the match itself not the story that leads to it but the story told in the ring i find in north american wrestling a lot of the time there's no story there's they're just doing stuff but this was a great example of a story 
in the match itself. And that's that's something that, again, I've always loved about uh, the Japanese stuff. They're always so much better at telling the story in the ring. And that's even today. God, the New Japan stuff, you know, with Okada and Omega and like those guys it just even the the one the show in um, Long Beach that I went to with the the young bucks like just mm. great storytelling you know and I don't see that a lot in North American wrestling unfortunately right right and it's one of those the, the evolution of Manabe Nakanishi whether whether we'll go into it that much on the podcast I I don't know but his Nakanishi is the the one guy or one of very very few that Enochism really benefited, I think, when when you look at him, you know, because it's clear here that you know his his it it feels like if if Nakanishi was on the same trage- trajectory, um, people might have gotten tired of him pretty quickly, right? You know, because he couldn't be in that main event. You know, he, he can have like this this good match with with Keiji Muto, like built around that Argentine backbreaker, but doing it every month in month out, sure, you know, it, it, sure. it we get tired very very quickly. Like it did, like Sluger. Mm, but the, the suddenly you had like the the weird sort of pseudo MMA Manabe Nakanishi, and he's one of those guys, one of the very very few guys that that pulled that off and was more interesting right. that way, right? You right. know. Because like that when he could be like a little bit of a of a sort of more of a mauler kind of kind of guy, you know, and I think like Nakanishi sort of benefited far more than say like a uh, Kazuki Fujita did, you know. Right. Um right. that that he benefited from from that run. And I think like you know, he he turned into, you know, a pretty effective hand and a pretty good hand for New Japan through through that difficult early two thousands era. Yeah. No, I I, I I I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so there you go. Nineteen ninety nine uh, is in the books, and uh, we're going. I'm glad I picked that year because all three shows, or sorry, all four shows, yeah, have are definitely worth checking out. Like there's there's good stuff on every one of those shows. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Yeah, that uh, we we're going to turn into uh, the two thousands and get some. Some great stuff to look forward to in the next decade, and some really bad stuff to look forward to in the next decade. The good with the bad. I think, fortunately, though, most of it is good rather than bad. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. And um, yes, we're, we're going to start off uh, the the look at the decade with with the year two thousand. And joining me on the next episode, uh, who better would be uh, Keep It Two Thousands Brian Mann? Oh, cool! Going to join me. Uh, to look at the year 2000 on the, on the next episode. Um, but uh, as we wrap things up here, here Mouth, um, what's coming up for you? Obviously, one thing that's coming up is the, the audiobook version of, of Eggshells, which um, yeah. you can tell people about. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm totally, I'm, I'm actually quite flattered that you picked me to, to do the audiobook. Um, I mean, you'd already sent me the book, so I was already reading it. <laughs> and I'm like... And I, I I love I love the book you know as much as I love Lion's Pride I think this is even more fascinating and um, uh, I just love the approach I love the approach you took like again much like New Japan Wrestling it's simple it's simple I'm gonna take every year all the big shows at the Dome and talk about it like and and at the same time being able to analyze the business what was working what wasn't working who became a star who didn't. 
like I just think it's it's great. So I'm I'm really happy to be working on the on the book with you. That's awesome. Um, other stuff, yeah. I just kind of I'm ever since the law kind of bit the bullet there. I'm kind of just popping in wherever I can. Um, I um, I often join John and Way for stuff on post wrestling every once in a while. Um, I'm also joining uh, Jason Agnew. Has got uh, his new wrestling radio show with uh, Sunday Night's Main Event. I've I've often uh, join him. So I, I, I'm kind of with um, both sides of the camp there, kind of whenever those guys kind of need me, I'm, I'm ready to jump in. Uh, personally, myself, I'm just, I've been doing, um, if for any of you that are, are music fans out there and like to check out some music, I've got my own YouTube channel called uh, Dr. Mouth. It's just youtube.com slash Dr. Mouth. And I'm reviewing old rare records. Because uh, I have a huge collection of vinyl, way more than a person should have. And uh, I'm just having a lot of fun going through my collection, finding old obscure records, and just telling people about them. Um, I did do one wrestling one. I did Fred Blassie's record um, from the early late, late 70s, early 80s with Pencil Neck Geek and that on it. But uh, it's all over the place. There's punk, there's hard rock, there's funk. Um, yeah, so that, that's just kind of a way for me to keep being creative and, uh, keep doing stuff and, uh, <laughs> taking advantage of this large record collection that I have. So that's, uh, that's why I'm, I'm on Instagram. Uh, I, I do post as Dr. Mouth and that as well. So yeah, that's, that's about it. Cool. Awesome. I should really get to Totokan and, and send you some Japanese wrestling vinyl. Dude, I would be in heaven. I would be in heaven. I mean, I, I'm, I'll, I'll um, when I get a chance, I'll dig that one out I was telling you about earlier, and yeah. I'll send you a picture in that because it's just one of the craziest records I have in my entire collection. I just, I just love it. Um, I actually bought it um, at the end when the CD era was starting to come in. There was a lot of record stores here in Toronto that were selling off all their vinyl cheap. And I was in a big store, and they had tons of import stuff. And that's where I found this uh, this Japanese record. And it's just, it, I couldn't I couldn't leave it behind. I'm just like, what is this? Anoki and Bob Backlander on the cover? Like, what's right. going on here? So uh, yeah, any oh yeah, I love I I love uh, I love stuff like that. It's uh, it's great. Colt Cabana was showing me some of the ones he's picked up in Japan. He's got the Hogan mm. one, in Japan. He's got the, I think he's got the Terry Funk one, um, but yeah, yeah, no, uh, that would be great. I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks a lot for, for joining us again, Mouth, and uh, we'll speak to you, or I'll speak to you again uh, next time. Goodbye. All right. Yeah. Thanks, man. It was that was totally fun. Thanks for having me.